0: Ah, the smell of perfect pizza, the carpet of wet leaves on the sidewalk, ambulances and traffic running 24 seven, intimidatingly fashionable outerwear. New York City is one of my favorite cities in the world and there's no better time to be there than the fall. I mean, have you seen When Harry Met Sally? Come on. And how much more beautiful will all of our cities be when they're perfected in the love and the grace of God? But how shall they know about his grace unless someone tells them? What better place, what better time to come and refresh yourself on the art and craft of preaching than New York in November? Register now for Preaching in a Post-Christian Age. This is a three-day Living Church conference in the heart of Manhattan where you can enjoy world-class keynotes, conversations with experts, warm fellowship with other Christian leaders, and hone your skills as a preacher of God's word. And we might have dinner at a speakeasy, just saying. Tickets start at just 50 bucks. Find more information at livingchurch.org forward slash events or click the link in the show notes today.
1: unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible-carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Wash on the rock You tell me I should build my Jake, here we are. I uh, uh, we were both wearing our collars as we did our little pre-show banter. Uh, the the kind that's not recorded, the real director's cut stuff. Um, but now I've taken mine off because <laughs> there's a rule in the universe that only one of us can wear a collar at the same, at the same mm-hmm, time. That's right. So now you're and normally looking, I'm not wearing one. Yeah, I know. So I'd let you have the have the thunder today. How you doing? I'm well, I'm well. How are you doing? Hanging in Great. there. Great. I'm desperately need of a haircut, but it's a sign of my life that I haven't gotten one because I am so I'm catching myself coming and going and uh, uh, I like it you know yeah, are close to putting it in a ponytail I know, it's good I could, I could have a warrior <laughs> top knot any day now um, so Waco can be pretty windy sometimes and then I get I get all kinds of wind blown locks
2: hey um, so the other day I was at the institution of a guy named Zach Thompson at uh St. James Madison Avenue, and I want to give a shout out to uh, the priest in charge of St. John's Episcopal Church in Pleasantville, uh, who said, what's up, Um, uh, Chris Vellion, and I hope I said your last name right, but anyway, just uh, grateful for you listening and for the encouraging word uh, that you uh, were to me um, on that evening. So, anyway, shout out and thanks for listening.
1: Okay, so back to me. I would like to continue to talk about how I'm doing. <laughs> your hair? No, no, your hair? I've moved on. That was the worst segue <laughs> ever. You're like, okay, done with that. Yeah. Now a shout out that, to no, Pleasantville. I mean, Sorry. You know, Pleasantville, you what's look up? Uh, I'm I, Jake, butchered your name. I never would. But Jake is that kind of person. So just remember, St. Albans, Waco is where it's at. All right, so we got some readings for Sunday, October 29th. You didn't even ask me how I'm doing, man. I don't but anyway, I don't that's good. We've no, used well, up all time. You used up your time to give a good. shout out to your friend. So no. I know. I think I well, gave up. How them. are you, Jake? No, I'm good. I'm good. Moving on. So <laughs> Sunday. Should we start over? No, this no, is just... great. This is, this is the gold Content that people have come to love with same old song. Yeah. This is the good stuff. Our talk of lectionary podcasts. So um, this is why people are here. Yes. 20 our seconds Sunday after Pentecost, proper 25. Mm-hmm. And our readings. Uh, we begin, we're in track two again, people. So we begin with Leviticus 19, <laughs> that wonderful book named for the Levites, not your genes. And we then have 1st Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8, and then we continue with Matthew 22, 34 Mm -hmm. through 46. Um, So we begin here with Leviticus, and we have a call to be holy. Jake, what is holiness? Mm. I mean, it is absolute and total Perfection. Okay, so moving on to Paul's That's letter to right. Thessalonians. How's
2: that, so how's that working for you? Well, and I will say so,
1: there's a lot to preach here. Uh, if you there is a ton a to preach here, my friends. Preachers. This is not a whole section. You know, um, the <sighs> Ten Commandments has come earlier in Deuteronomy, and it does get rehashed in Leviticus. But here it's sort of a long... Sort of extrapolation. Yeah, it's sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, the Ten Commandments, are, it's, a, it's a short list, but then God in the book of Leviticus to the Israelites is giving all these instructions on right. everything from how to deal with your uh, domestic help, how to take care of your animals, how to deal with your family, and in this section, things that sound a lot like the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father, that kind of stuff, but also these other um, pieces here. And interestingly, right before this, there's stuff about... How you treat foreigners in the land, um, uh, check. And when you reap the har, and how you take care of poor people. So when you reap the harvest check. of your land, you don't reap right up to the edge. Meaning, you don't go for total 100% American capitalist efficiency to milk every check. last dollar out of everything. You leave. Stuff lying around so that um, you can leave it for the poor and the sojourner. That's in verse nine, and then you kind of come right up to this part where we have in our passage today about lo- being holy. And I think, well, if I if what I what I think I find really interesting about this passage is that when people talk about being holy, they think about church going, they think about piety, Bible reading, they think about mm. you know. Getting rid of their Justice. Icelandic death metal uh, collection, but here it turns mm, out um, holiness is all about how you take care of poor people, how you take care of your neighbor. If you want to know if a nation is holy, it's not uh, about whether or not they have a red light district, although that factors into it. Don't hear me say that that's not an issue, but um, uh, it's there's a lot about how you how you deal with poor people in your country or your community and whether you treat rich people better than you treat poor people, favoritism, um, and then you have this kind of classic thing, the statement um, that we'll come back to Jesus later. He'll say it in the Gospel of Matthew reading for this Sunday. Um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but this is hard stuff. Don't bear a grudge against any of your people. Ooh. What if I'm not actually hurting them? I just like holding on to my resentment. Is that allowed? Mm. You know, I always, I love holding on to my
2: resentments. Mm. And um, so I find it as, uh, as yeah, as Nadia Boltz, whoever said, that's like, um. Uh, it's like a uh, peeing your pants in the middle of the winter. You know what I mean? It feels great for a second, but it's um, it's a terrible thing. But uh, you know, all <laughs> of this, I mean, how ultimately the question you need to ask yourself is how is this uh, working for you? And, um, I think this is a great uh, this is a great uh, problem. I think in the church today and uh, in general is you're absolutely right. Most people think that holiness is like you know uh, church going and piety. They don't understand that it is like um, the call to absolute total perfection. Uh, they don't understand that this is a call that should make us uh, uh, tremble. In our very boots, uh, you know, and this is why and and so often we like read this and you're like, well, I'm basically kind of good enough. You know, this um, when I look at this passage, I'm kind of reminded of the um, the uh, the rich young ruler who approaches Jesus and he says, you know, uh, Rab, good, good teacher. You know what I mean? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, here it is, you know, do all these things. Um, and uh, that's the problem is that when we basically think we're doing we're basically okay. Uh, then we begin to uh, lower the bar, and uh, and then we can begin, and then we begin to adjust ourselves as the bar. Mm. And so quickly we start pointing the fingers at everyone else. You know what I mean? And somehow I'm standing for justice. Somehow, you know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And those people really aren't pulling their weight. Yeah. And uh, what happens? So the first thing, the way you preach this is that actually uh, when anybody came into the presence of a holy God. They weren't like, I'm basically okay. Uh, Israel is like, don't we're not going up there. You go talk to him, Moses. Isaiah, when he comes into the holiness of God, he falls to his face and says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter, when he realizes who Jesus is, he falls to his face and says, you remember the fishing scene? And he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When you hear the word, you shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God am holy. This should not be like, hey, man, we're basically good and we're going to go do it. This should bring you to your knees in total fear. But here is where you'll find the gospel is that before you ever made a decision about God, he actually made a decision about you. And he says, for um, uh, I, the Lord, your God. So he's made a decision. He said, I'm your God, Mm. and I've made a decision about you, and that's, I'm your God. And so uh, now, because he's made a decision about you, you can see that while you are face down on your face, uh, uh, behold, uh, he comes and takes care of it. He becomes the burning coal upon our lips. Uh, He becomes actually the loving savior who uh, uh, lays his life down for us in his son, Jesus, and fulfills the law perfectly on our behalf so that in all of our failure to be the beloved community, uh, we might actually... um, uh, uh, for the first time understand ourselves as the beloved community and uh, and that he has loved us completely, totally, and he has given us his righteousness. And now we stand worthy in the world because of Jesus alone.
1: That is some classic Jake Smith gospel preaching there, and I'm glad I was here for it. It's beautiful, Jake. Thank you so <laughs> much. That's, that's why um, you're here. All right, so moving on. Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalon. No, I'm serious, Jake. No, it's good. You, Thanks, man. You're the best. Appreciate it. I was just riffing. If you, if you live in so. New York, go to Calvary St. George's people. Um, make a pledge. So, chapter two, <clears throat> verses one through eight. We just uh, launched into this last week, um, and we're going to be in First Thessalonians for a while. Uh, this is Paul still kind of uh, getting warmed up here, talking about his relationship with the church uh, Mm -hmm. in Thessaloniki and talking about um, how he got to meet them, uh, you know, his his difficulty in Philippi before he arrived there, and um, just the challenges he, he faced. But he, one of the things that he says here is amazing, and this. This is where you have to pull this out, preacher. Like, pick one thing, and here's the one thing you pick in this thing, at least if you're me. Jake will pick the wrong thing, but listen to me. I'll give you the right thing. Pick out this. He says, um, uh, we never came with words of flattery or with the pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals. Now this is a self-actualized, non-anxious mm. person, and you never see this in the wild. Someone who doesn't have mm. an ulterior motive, someone who doesn't come with an agenda, someone who's actually interested in you as a person and not what can you do for me. He's not worried about your opinion of him or your approval. And golly, I read this, I'm like, I, I wish I could be like St. Paul, because I'm uh, not yeah, there totally. yet. But isn't Especially it amazing? Especially in stewardship. That, yeah, Paul doesn't come <laughs> to flatter you, he doesn't try to need you to make need you to like him. Um, mm-hmm. He's not trying to butter you up to ask you for money. That's the pretext for greed, like pretending to be all holy and pious, but really <laughs> I just want you to open up your checkbook. Um, uh, nor is he seeking praise from mortals, because Paul is someone who rests in Christ. And here's where you get to preaching. Here, where is this coming from? Not just from you, you know, singing Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. As great as that is. Uh, and not just um, from you know in the Episcopal Church we like to talk about the sacraments they're powerful and beautiful real particular Holy Communion but that a lot of people take that and it impacts them a lot of people take that and it doesn't really impact them um, what has happened to Paul though is he 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 bottomed out. He had his whole life um, fall out from under him when he was persecuting the church, thinking he was doing God's work and realizing he was actually going against the work of God. And he had a complete reversal of everything that he thought was true and right in himself and his ego. And he was a murderer and he was against God. And that was the moment God called him into service on that Damascus road. So until you've been loved at your very worst, um, you might think that you are some kind of... um, person in the world that can impress others and can win approval or whatever. And Paul's done with that because he has been at his worst and it's at that moment that he was loved and discovered the truth of the gospel. And if he's saying, if I can be loved at that level, and if God loves me at that level, at sort of not just ground zero but like the basement like at the very bottom if God can love me there then i don't need to get i don't need to flatter other people i can i can walk in the world confidently as someone who's loved and that's why he can be among them like as he says like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children um because he's now operating in the world from a place of being loved and can love others so that's how you preach first mm, Thessalonians 2 that's beautiful in man. my opinion well, thank you mm
2: mm-hmm. mhm no, I love this. This is like a really this is a real introduction into who St. Paul is. And the the thing that I uh, love about this is that and uh, this is um this is a real this is a lesson actually for a lot of pastors. Uh, what Paul is describing right here is his authority. You know, a lot of pastors we chuck on the collar and we're and I'm wearing mine right now, you know. So, but uh, um, okay. we think that um, you know, and it gives us power. But a power um, is uh, not authority. Authority is given by a congregation. And so, in this particular passage, he's speaking about why he has been given, um, why he is, has authority as, as an apostle, you know, and he says, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but here I love this, um, but also ourselves because we you have become very dear to us. And I think that this is the real uh, key into understanding what, like, um, it is to be a Christian in the world and what it is, especially to be a pastor in the world. But for your congregation's sake, being a Christian in the world. And uh, I've gotten tuned into this, The Tamed Cynic by Jason, a friend, mockingbird friend, Jason Michelli. Mm. And uh, I mean, he, dude, I, I could read this just all day. and uh, But he uh, puts this question out in, in one of his essays um, that is about St. Carl uh, Bart, Preach as if nothing has happened. And uh, uh, our good friend RJ Heyman turned us on to this. But he says, are we as Christians called to make a difference in the world? Or are we called, are we called to live in the difference Christ has already made in the world? Mm. How you answer that question makes all the difference. And before you answer, remember the overwhelming majority of Christians since the time of Jesus have been poor and illiterate, oppressed and anonymous. And I mean, that's I mean, other than the illiterate part, I mean, that is like basically a description of Paul. Mm-hmm. There's an assumption of privilege that lurks behind the answer that Christians are called to make a difference in the world. If making a difference in the world is what Christians are meant to do, then most Christians for most of Christian history have lacked the power to do what they're allegedly called to do. Yeah. But, uh, what we see here is Paul doing what Christians are called to do, and that is live in the difference Christ has already made in the world. Here he is a Jew, um, and uh, he's dealing with a primary Gentile uh, Gentile congregation, and he's talking about how much he loves him. And this is the difference that Jesus has already made in the world. He's torn down the walls of hostility that stand between us, you know, between Jew and Gentile in that day. And he's done the same thing in between uh, Gaza and uh, uh, Israel. He's done the same thing between Azerbaijan and uh, Armenia. He's done the same thing between Republicans and Democrats. The problem is is that we're just so busy being the difference in the world, we fail from the pulpit to, like Paul, proclaim uh, the difference and be the difference that Christ has already made. And uh, and I think that that is really at the very heart of what Paul is getting at here in 1 Thessalonians.
1: Amen. And so... We now move on to the Gospel of Matthew where we have a nice bookend because this is where Jesus quotes the reading that we heard at the beginning in Leviticus 19, Mm -hmm. love your neighbor as yourself. And here we are ending Jesus being grilled uh, by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He's silenced the Sadducees, and now the Pharisees are like cracking their knuckles, like, okay, well now if the Sadducees, a, a certain sect mm-hmm. of Judaism weren't able to, to kind of trap Jesus in some sort of question, he now, now the Pharisees are gonna take their, their turn at him. And they ask him a question to test him, which of the commandments is the greatest? And he says in this classic response, which we say in every right one service of Holy Eucharist in the Book of Common Prayer, um, we begin with the summary of the law, um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great commandment, and the second is like unto it: Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Boom, and uh, they're, they're like, okay, like what? They they have no response it's just because it's just it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, then. They say, well, okay, um, uh, now Jesus is going to take his turn to answer them. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, so now it's my turn. You couldn't, I answered your question correctly. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they say, the son of David. And so he says, well, then how then is that David, inspired by the Holy Spirit in writing the Psalms, says, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my, right, sit at my right hand. So David is saying, God has said to my Lord, meaning David has a Lord, this Messiah. Um and so how is that possible if, uh, if if the Messiah is the son of David? So they think the Messiah is going to be a son of David, an heir, a, a scion of the Davidic line, a, a king of Israel in the political and military sense. And he's saying, well, wait a second, I think there's something more going on because you read David talking in the Psalms and actually the Messiah, the one to come, is, is his Lord. So how can he be his son? And then they're all... Quieted, they can't answer, and they are they shut their mouths. And it says nobody asked them any more questions. So I think um, one of the things that I have been talking about lately, in light of this war in Israel and Gaza uh, against Hamas, is the um, the this is another one of those instances that shows that the world often wants a Messiah or some sort of leader from God who can be a political leader to solve our problems through political. Means And it's not to say that politics don't matter and governance aren't aren't important. Like, all that is very important. But Jesus always rejects political power when it's given to him and seems to think that there is a human problem that is much bigger um, and much deeper. And that's what he comes to deal with. And so this begins to hint at that. He's not Mm -hmm. come to be a son of David and put a crown on his head and sit on a throne in Jerusalem. He's come to be the king of kings, the lord of lords, the prince of peace, the savior of the world, the the logos who has now um, put on flesh and dwelt among us to mm-hmm. save us through his death and resurrection. The, and how you make this real for your congregation is you talk about in your life, you have lots of problems that need fixing, but ultimately you could fix all those problems. You could win the lottery, and this happens all the time. People win the lottery, it solves a bunch of problems, but it also creates more problems. And then like two years later, they're like, you know, everybody's left them and they're near death. Um, and so this, this, I mean, like, that's not an exaggeration that happens when people win big lotteries all the time. Um, you could solve all your problems externally and you would then next week, I promise you, you'd have all new problems. Like there's a deeper human brokenness, this low anthropology we talk about sometimes. So that's where I would go with this. And I would say, love your neighbors yourself. By the way, if you talk about that, make sure you let people know that that is impossible. Um, and, <clears> uh, and make sure you tell them that, I mean, that this is what God does for us in Christ, and that is what, if it ever, if our lives ever begin to look like people who love their neighbor as themselves, that is a work of God, not our own efforts bringing that about. Mm. Jake, did I get it right?
2: Yeah, I man, that's really good. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of fun you can have with this particular passage. Um Especially because uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, when you, you set the stage when you're, when you're preaching and you can remind them all that these guys had all become, if you will, commandment connoisseurs. You know, they had basically, uh, you know, boiled all of Genesis, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to basically 613 do's and don'ts in order to be pleasing in God's sight and so I love this they and this is part of a false set set of questions that they've been asking Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 you remember uh, you know who do we pay taxes to this is all like this is all a big setup and so all of a sudden they want to get like you know Marie Kondo on everybody and you know declutter the law a little bit so what's the, what's the biggest one and uh, Jesus doesn't give them one; he gives them two. So uh, basically, a description of the tablets of the law. The first side is about loving God. The second flows out of that um, to um, loving your neighbor. And um, and uh, this and notice he says this is bigger than the entire all of the sacrifices. And this must have caught them, especially the Sadducees, who ran the temple a little off guard because the sacrificial system was a humongoid deal. And so, but. Um, You know, here's where you really begin to pitch the gospel and preach the gospel is that um, as radical forgivenitarians, well, this is the wrong question to ask. You know, uh, what's the greatest commandment is the wrong question uh, when it comes to the kingdom of God. Uh, because, um, as you know, none of us are loving the Lord our God, and this is why it drives me crazy when I talk to my colleagues. And you know, and uh, they they ask me what the gospel is, or they I ask them what the gospel is, and they say, "Well, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself." No, that's the law, hmm. and so and there's not enough loving we can do to get us into the kingdom, to qualify us for the kingdom. So the question that we need to be asking as Jesus uh, sums up the law is who has fulfilled the commandment for me that I might stand justified before God? And the answer is the one answering the question, Jesus. And here's the good news of the gospel uh, for both our gospel reading and our Old Testament, and ultimately for our epistle reading. Jesus is God's love for humanity, and Jesus is humanity's love for God. And therefore, in Jesus, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in Jesus, you definitely love your neighbor as yourself. And this is all possible because in Jesus, your sins have been put away from you as far as the east is from the west. And so, this now, and so then this begins to make sense of whose son is he? Well, he's David's greater son, uh, the one whom David called Lord. And uh, and he is the Lord your God. And like I said, going back to that first reading, he's made a decision about you. And that banner in baptism, that banner in bread and wine is all uh, love, grace, and mercy.
1: Well, I think that'll do it for sunday october 29th Uh, unless jake do you have a ps or anything you want to end to the end no man this it's is good, good I agree.
2: great great Sunday to preach
1: yeah so and then uh, of course we're heading into all saints and all that so make sure you get your necrology in order if you haven't done it already and plan your <laughs> plan your trunk or treat and harvest festival and all whatever you're doing yeah. it's, uh, it's and what's the up.
2: what's the maypole or whatever yeah, don't, anyway. do, don't do that so, don't do that
1: <laughs> uh, alright so yeah that'll do it for 22nd Sunday after Pentecost we'll see you for the 23rd in seven days God bless you God bless bye somebody's looking
0: Somebody wonders what Joe do today you know it crucified him, buried him but 3 days later well, the stone got
1: rolled away yes, Thanks for listening to same old song hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life If you like what you heard leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.